Hi there, everyone. Uh, for this particular episode of Sherman and Ski, Talk You Into It, we had a couple of technical glitches while we were recording, but the material we thought was just too good not to share, so please be patient. Uh, there'll be a little bit of a interesting rhythmic track behind it at certain points, but we're really happy with our uh, episode, and we wanted you to listen to it intact as we had originally intended it. So stay patient, thank you, and uh, appreciate you listening to Sherman and Ski. And this is Ski. And we are doing another Sherman and Ski Talk You Into It broadcast. My man, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I was thinking about this episode tonight. Like, this is another slam dunk for me. And even Jamie, my wife, said, do you really need to talk anybody into this band? And, you know, I I don't know if we're going to need to do much convincing for a lot of uh, our listeners. And there may be some that have already made up their minds that they're not going to give them another try, but um, this is what it's all about. This is just fun. And so this is a, this is another slam dunk for me. A slam dunk for Ski. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, let's announce the band. Uh, we're doing Guns N' Roses. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. That, this, is, this is a long time coming, this particular episode, because we talked about doing this w- w- about a month ago. Ski and I and uh, Ski's phenomenal wife, Jamo, and my phenomenal wife, the bees, the four of us were in the Outer Banks and we were having some beers amongst some, amongst some killer uh, uh, cornhole. And we were, we were going to record, I don't know, what, four, five, 30 episodes and we recorded precisely zero. Right, but right. on the plus side, we did uh, determine that we were going to do Guns N' Roses as the first one of all of them because Ski was like, Sherman, let's do the hits. Let's do yeah. the big hits. Let's do the big ones. Like, what are we futzing around with? Like, what what is the why are we why are we beating around the bush? You no, know, I, I love the episodes where we are legitimately trying to convince somebody, like Liz Fair comes to mind of like, no, take another listen. Go back there, you know, dig a little deeper for Nathaniel Ratliff. Um, you know, take a take a listen. You might discover something here. But it's, it's just fun to do bands that, I don't know, that have wide recognition, um, people know them, and I, I don't know if we're talking anybody into them one way or the other. But, but we might be. But we, we might, might but it is also just fun to like, yeah, we're talking to you into them, but we're just giving you the hits. We're giving you hits. We're going to give you the you're gonna, gonna, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna join us along for this party because you, you are, you have your own top four from Guns and Mind. You've got your own top four from Guns and Roses if you're listening to this, but if for some reason you're like, man, I always hated this band, or right. what, what more could I want from Guns and Roses, or, or who is going to tell me something that I didn't know, or like some better reason to be into Guns and Roses, or to be like, right, you know, I never thought of Guns and Roses like this. You know, I was in a conversation with um uh with my friend Shane who uh had me on as a guest on 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 his uh radio program slash podcast Radio Free Brooklyn he gave us a shout out hopefully if you found us through that thank you for joining us and after we were done recording because he he asked me he was like Sherman I need you on to talk about New Jersey based musicians and I said okay um <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to talk me into that um, but, uh, you know, and I mentioned, I said, I think we're going to do Guns N' Roses. And he was like, you know what, man? It's like the interesting thing about doing that is you could really go a lot of different ways because people think they know the band, but maybe they've just already had a preconceived notion, or maybe they just have a t-shirt because the logo is super iconic, right. Right. you know, right. And they don't even know about Chinese democracy, you know, or they don't know about, and I don't mean, or the spaghetti incident. And I don't even mean those albums, but I mean, even like, they might not even know what use your illusion is or why there were two of them or what that even means or that there's a song called patience. So anyway, I'm just saying there's probably people that we think they think they know everything about there is to know about guns and roses, but they don't. So ski without further ado, you said you're going to go for the hits yeah. Hit me with the hit. No, I mean, so I'm going to just kick it off with Sweet Child of Mine. So number one hit for uh, our bad boys. And, I, you know, I gave it a lot of thought because you could go in so many different directions. But I just I had to start off 
with what's probably, I mean, I think their first, um, you know, big hit, their first big MTV hit, and it just endures and it lasts. And, you know, when I'm thinking about the song, it's just, it's anthemic. It's, I don't know, just a little bit more than a power ballad. I was hesitating to call it a power ballad because it, there's not much ballady about it. Um, but it's a powerful hard rock anthem. And it's an anthem. It's an anthem. If, if you start, like, you start at the, well, let's just give it a listen and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get a little bit of that riff. So, I, you know, first of all, you listen to the opening bit of the song. I mean, that Slash's intro, it's iconic and it's unlike anything I think you heard um, in that Sunset Strip scene at that time, that hard rock, hair metal scene um just an unusual riff it almost almost reminds me of sort of like the intro to um the doors light my fire except on guitar or even tears of a clown except it's you know it's slash playing that that opening riff and i i could do an entire podcast on duff mckagan's baseline baseline intro to that song it's just beautiful it's gorgeous complements the the riff perfectly um, and that's, you know, it, it's Axel singing about a girl and singing about his girlfriend at the time, which I believe was Aaron Everly, uh, daughter of one of the uh, Everly brothers. Um, no way. So Aaron is a daughter of the, no, you're not, you're, you're messing with me. I, really? I, I'm messing with you. This is Have before Steph, this is before swimsuit model Stephanie Seymour. Or something to prove that you're not BSing the crowd. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is Aaron Everly uh, was his girlfriend at the time, and this was for her. And so it's a sweet song, um, you know, for his girlfriend. But you know, it, but you told me that Axel, had a, Axel Rose had a girlfriend when he right. when they released Appetite for Destruction, like an actual girlfriend. Believe it or not, I mean, it, it happened. You know, I didn't say the relationship lasted. I didn't. I don't say it didn't have it, it, its ups and downs. Um, you know, he started hanging out with you too at the time, you know, when, uh, one came out of a rock tune baby. And he said at the time that was one of his, one of his favorite songs, because just reminded of him of, uh, him and Aaron never had a chance. And, you know, um, so it's kind of, a, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite. Bittersweet. It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. Right. And so, but it, I mean, the, the song opens up with that, that beautiful opening riff from Slash. Duff's bass intro, like I said, is just gorgeous and just bounces off perfectly off of that opening riff. Um, and then, but the song just builds and it builds and Axel's voice just gets a little bit higher, screams just a little bit more. Um, and then it just, it kills you with, you know, that, that solo that Slash has in there. And it builds, you know, it, it builds from the ground floor um, up to the top of the roof, and I don't know if there's a, it's blistering, and I don't know if there's a better you know solo of that era, and it just blows everything out of the water from that time, and it endures, it stays, it's going to be discovered by every generation. Um, Stephen Adler on the drums, Izzy Stratton on rhythm and guitar. Let's get the rest of the band in there, but it's you know it they were of the Sunset Strip, but it was the first indication that. You know, we're going to take this scene and we're going to put it to a different level and a level that no other band from Los Angeles in the strip is going to be able to match. It's definitely it's a, aspirational. It's it, absolutely. Aspirational. So are you uh, have you wrapped up your, your intro to the to this one about like why you think it's. Yes, absolutely. A must listen. All right. Because I don't want to like trample over you here um, by any stretch of the imagination. I want to add to what you're saying. Obviously, there's no Guns N' Roses without Sweet Child of Mine. Um, it is kind of a beautiful, beautiful melody. Mm -hmm. It has been, it must be sad on the inside, right? With a number of like sadder covers that I've heard of Sweet Child of Mine. I've heard more plaintive, like romantic acoustic covers of Sweet Child of Mine in the last 20 years than you would have ever thought. One of my favorite chill New York City bands, Luna, they did Sweet Child of Mine. They have a great yeah. chill cover of it. Shell Crow's cover of it, I think a lot of people might know. I feel like there's been a lot of Coffeehouse covers of Sweet Child of Mine um, that kind of goes along with that whole thing of them not 
of, of making it a real anthem, you know, making it more strumming. It doesn't ever have that kind of splash, blistering guitar. No yeah. one tries to cover it. It's almost like they've already defined what that sound is like. And you like, if you tried to cover it, you would just be stupid. You'd be stupid right. to cover it in the way that they performed it. The only way to cover it is to do a completely different interpretation of that and to make it like way more just just a, a total twist and to say, okay, the only way to cover this perfect song is to do it in a way that you're not expecting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's one of those songs that is completely open to reinvention and it suggests going in, it could go in so many different directions. Um, and which is why, yeah, so many different artists ha have covered it. But you're right that the Guns version, the original, is just it's on a different plane it's, and it's on a different planet. And so it's it's such a it has a gorgeous, beautiful melody that, of course, people are going to want to try. But they have to make it their own. There's something that, you know, you can you know pick up a, a cover and uh, you can be pretty faithful to the you can't hear. You're right. It, it has to be your own. And it, it's it's so well written that it, it's open to that um but nobody's gonna put slash and that solo on there it, it, it you just can't and and so it was on another planet and it just it was a signal to the other bands that like you know the gauntlet's been thrown down and if you want to catch up you're gonna have to come a long way it's inimitable like you can't imitate that solo mm -hmm. i agree with you on the bass i will just say and it's going to speak to my selection in a minute but like one of the things that Guns N' Roses separated itself from the rest of that, um, the, even the Sunset Strip scene, but also just what eventually turned into hair metal, they were not hair metal. They were legit metal. Um, or at least with Appetite for Destruction, it was legit. Um, you know, but they were, always, they were always aiming for more, and I believe it's Axel that aimed for more. I don't want to call it operatic, but they absolutely went for actually... Dare I say it? I will dare. And uh, like almost like a musical theater vibe of like a big, of like a big seven minute number. Think about, if you think about this song, Sweet Child of Mine is almost seven minutes long. Yeah. That's a really, I mean, sure, there's a radio edit to it, but like that version of the song was almost, I don't think it was cut much more than that, whatever hit the charts. Like, it's a long song. Paradise City, I don't know if that's one six or not, is six minutes and 46 seconds long. These are long songs. These are meatloaf level length songs. These are Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart length songs. These are like queen length songs. Yeah, there's so many different parts in. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not, again, this is, this is, that's just a fact. Like, that's not like me, like, passing a judgment one way or the other on whether the song is good or bad. Like, these were long songs. These are Axel's visions. And I'm going to get to... Uh, the, the My pick is also a huge hit, um, but well, my first pick is a huge hit, but like, when you just think about how long some of the songs are that they come up with, they are literally epic. You know, they are epic songs. And they went for it in an era that well, you weren't really doing it. If you think about what New Wave was doing before this, right? New Wave, First Wave, whatever you want to call it. Like, they were short songs. They were not like these, like, mid-70s meatloaf-ish epics, right? I mean, like, like Paradise by the Dashboard Light is like, you know, what, eight minutes? Something like that? Right. Maybe Bohemian Rhapsody is like eight and a half minutes or something. Some of these songs feel forever, you know, like, like, Guns N' Roses wasn't afraid of that. Axel wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't afraid to tell a multi-act story in the songs. That's what I think is so cool about Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, no, and they and it's it was a song that um, you know you mentioned the radio edit. I mean that should just be thrown by the wayside. I mean it's 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 so hard to listen to whenever it pops up on um, the radio or whatever you're listening to because it just cuts out what is I mean for me just a critical part of the song. Uh, it was meant to be anthemic. It was the meant song? to be six plus minutes. You know, they were meant to yeah. go for it. And I think you hit the nail on the head of, you know, one of Axel's biggest influences was Queen. And it has that element to it of like the different structures, the different acts, the different scenes. And I think you're right to call it opera, operatic because it is. And and, they, and they're just a band that that went for it and uh, and succeeded. And just it, it was a message to every other band out there 
you're not going to catch this. And it almost points to, you know, the, their history. They, they were going to be a two album band ultimately because they, they just couldn't go beyond that. I mean, they just, they went for it so much and they put everything out there and actually put everything out there. That it was almost inevitable that it was just going to be too much and they were going to have to break up and then come back together and do, you know, the, the greatest hits tour of those, of those two iconic albums. So, um, but Sweet Child of Mine was the first, and, and there well, were others. A lot of people would quibble, bro, about whether or not they were a two-album band. I know what you mean there, but, you know, they oh, would It's a been... fact. Bring it on. I mean, put a comment in the comment section. Nice. I'm right, and you're wrong. It's a two-album <laughs> band. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 is one album. Okay, see, yeah, that's where you're going to get that blowback, and, and, and you're not going to get it from me in the sense that I think I, think I would appreciate more than anything, if Use Your Illusion was, you know, was half the length and one phenomenal record as opposed to two albums with half of an album's good material on each one. I agree with you. That being said, they released two albums at the same time to maximize their value, maximize the return. They also thought they were all good enough and we can get into that in a minute and we should. Well, um, let's let's get to your song because we got we got a couple more to get through, and um, I could go on forever about "Sweet Child of Mine." But. <laughs> I should, I should. I just want to say it's going to pivot directly from what I was describing before. Um, Axel believed in the epic, the most epic song, in my opinion, and this goes in the face of what you just said, which is obviously a killer pick, duh, but. The most epic song in their catalog is November Rain. To me, it's not even close. Um, they went for it on a next level, building on what they started with with Sweet Child of Mine in the sense of not being afraid of a six-minute song. I'm not even looking at the length of the song of, November, of what November Rain is, but I know that it's a song in three acts. And the fact that they even did a song in three acts and then had an accompanying video, to me, it set the table for everybody who went after that yeah. everybody so let's take a sec let's listen to a little bit 30 seconds of november rain and then i'll get back to ranting about why it's so me so the thing is when you get to november rain and you start talking about it can't disassociate the fact that in the early 90s you still had high art going on in the video component of of the songs that you're releasing as a single. And I believe without any proof whatsoever that Axl Rose was 1000% in his mind composing the video at the same time that he was building the song structure. And I mentioned Meatloaf before, and I mentioned Bonnie Tyler for a reason before. And the common thread there is that Jim Steinman, who wrote most of Meatloaf's huge hits and was a huge musical theater nerd, also wrote Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And if you watch the videos of Total Clips of the Heart and then you put it next to November Rain, there are more similarities than anyone would want to admit except for the fact that there's nobody with glowing eyes staring at people. And there's no Stephanie Seymour in her full-on early 90s swimsuit goddess hotness. Gorgeous, yeah. There's, first of all, let's not, let's, not, let's not push that aside. Axl Rose, you have an excellent eye for talent. Also, you thought you were Elton John. You're sitting there with this huge chandelier or this huge like candelabra thing, not chandelier, candelabra on your piano and you're pounding it out and you're making an epic number. And this is this is a compliment, Axel, who's not listening. This like the video is incredible. The, the video is in multiple acts. Slash is doing his slash thing on the top of a mountain while the wind is blowing and all this crazy stuff's happening. And that third Part of the song, dude. That third part went out of nowhere after the solo. There's that coda where they're like, "Don't you think that you need somebody? Don't yeah. you think that you need someone? Everybody needs somebody. You're not the only one. You're not the only." It's so over the fucking top. It's so over the top. It's like you should have like an army of weird dudes coming in and singing that solo, like holding candles, as if it's like trying to be a Madonna video, like like a prayer or something. I don't know, man. There's, to me, it is absolutely the pinnacle is the combination of not only the song, not only the strings, not only the aspirational quality, 
the operatic, the musical theater, however you want to look at it, the nature of that song, the, the structure itself, um, it went places. It took you on a journey through the whole thing, and so did the video. So November Rain, for me, top to bottom, best Guns N' Roses song ever. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just thinking about that solo uh, from Slash, I mean, Slash owns that sound. He owns that, you know, that lick, and it's instantly recognizable, and you know it's him. And there are not a lot of guitarists that can do that, really. I mean, it's just you, you hear the way he plays, and you know that's Slash. And you're so right about the Elton John reference, because I think they actually did play that song with Elton John. Maybe at a, a Was that at an MTV video? Yeah, I think it yeah. was. Um, and so that, but that's just another influence that, you know, like Queen, that you don't, you wouldn't necessarily immediately recognize, like, at least, at least I did the first time I heard Guns. Um, but the more that you listen to them, and the more that you just read how Axel, you know, revered Elton John, revered Queen, um, that no, there's no doubt that he was going to try and put that, that, you know, that sound to one of his songs. He's and, a closet musical theater kid. I'm telling you, like, no one's going to talk about it, least of all him. But, like, we saw him in concert, and he had eight costume changes. Like, eight costume changes, musical theater kid, Elton John, Queen. Put, connect the dots. No, I mean, I'm not going to go the music musical theater direction. I, I mean, I, I hear what you're <laughs> saying, and, you know, I... I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think I understand your argument. I mean, I guess I would go more so in just building off of, you know, those heroes of his past. Sure. Um, I mean, that, that's just like a whole separate conversation because I think sometimes musical theater, when they try to do bands like Guns or they try to do um, rock stars, you know, for me, they just, they miss the mark because they right. miss out on the essence of rock and roll. And, but that being said, there's no question that he did that. It was like a three act song. There's no question that he wanted to, match freddie mercury vocal for vocal and that's something i don't think we hit on enough is actually just has one of those vocal styles in this voice like i don't just I, I still don't know to this day how he can still sing you sing in that register he doesn't three half, half hours i mean it's it's just not his normal singing voice and he just, it's like almost like he's belting out a falsetto at high volume for three and a half hours it's it's stunning it's amazing um, I definitely think it, it's up there. And so it's, it's, it's one of those songs off of Use Your Illusion, um, that sequence that, yeah, it's just as iconic off of anything off of Appetite. And I think Appetite is one of the best albums of all time. So one of the best debut albums of all time. And they follow that up with a twofer, which, as I said, I could still believe is one album and should have been ultimately one album. You could have taken off My World and, you know, So Fine and a couple of others. But November Rain on that record um, just was, yeah, another big indication that this is a band that was going to go for it. But it was sort of like, it was almost like another indication of like, we can't go any further than this. You know, it, they didn't break up for a couple more years. They tried to do the tour and all that. But, you know, it's just like, how, how can you put out a third album? And sure enough, third album, everybody else left except Axel. And it took a decade <laughs> to finally put together. And so it's just it would take yeah. longer than that. It took longer than that. It took like 14 years for them to put this out. Some, and I mean, Dr. Pepper give out a free soda to anybody who like had held on to it or something. I mean, I'm staring right now at my compact disc copy of Chinese Democracy, which I refuse to get rid of because I still have it. Because yeah, I got it. Even though it's even though I've listened to it twice in what, what year did it come out? I'm, uh right. I've listened to it twice, but twice in a row, just to show how terrible it was. There's nothing on this that's worth having. I'm only holding on to it in the hopes that at some point I can turn this into something useful. I mean, I, I remember buying it because, yeah, we had just waited so long for it. And we knew for about the whole time we were waiting for it that it was called Chinese Democracy. And I think the offspring put out an album, Chinese Democracy, at some point because oh, like, they well, did. You know, they did. you're right. They totally did. Where it's like, well, shoot. I mean, we'll put out an album called Chinese Democracy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think November Rain, you know, was just it, it was it just encapsulated the era because it had the big video, it had the supermodel in it, it had the multiple scenes, um, and then on top of it, it's just. Yeah, it was a Guns N' Roses uh, just putting out another anthemic song that, you know, you, you know, it's going to define the generation and just be one of those songs that you're going to listen to for the rest of your life. It's just it's that good. It's that good. It's 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 just it's the it's 
it's so good that if you are like a 12 year old and you're like, what is Guns N' Roses? Like, I don't know how you don't play the first two songs we talked about. I really don't. I mean, yeah. like, like you, it's, this is exactly what you have to do. Like you, and it's almost like back to back. I'm not going to say that we're perfect, but you know what? Right now we're perfect. Like those are the two first two songs you have to listen to, to get what the entire band was about from 86 to 91, 92. Yeah. If you want to describe it like that is, there is no question about it. I will say I was at a record store last week um, here in Northern Virginia. Now that I'm in Northern Virginia. Um, and I was shocked, dude. They had Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2 available on vinyl. And I don't think I've ever seen that. And I mean, because they came out in 91. Right. You know, so I'm not saying that like that it, it was not on vinyl anywhere, but I know those were re-releases that I just saw. They weren't like vintage, right? But like they're like, you know, $24.99 or $27.99 or whatever it is. And like from what we're talking about now, and I think this is important for anyone who cares about this stuff, use your illusion. Absolutely. I agree with you. A zillion percent should have always been one record. It could have been one record with like 16 songs and it would have been an epic record, right? Because I'm staring at these two track lists at the moment. And like, Use Your Illusion 1 has 16 songs on it. And Use Your Illusion 2 has 14. And even if we just said, even if we weren't talking about the covers that are on each record, and let's talk about that for a second, how awesome Guns N' Roses is at doing covers, because they are awesome at covering songs and making them sound like Guns N' Roses songs and not like um, Eric Clapton songs, for example, right? They're, they're incredible at that, I believe. Um, there are, like, there's a lot of bullshit on these records. There's a lot of stuff that should never, of course. that should have not even been like a B-sides record or like a rarities record. Like, there's songs like Double Talk and Jive. Oh, yeah. Or uh, Back Off Bitch, which is completely out of touch. Um, or Get in the Ring, you Get in the Ring is horrendous. I mean, there's some songs on these records that like no one should ever be forced to listen to, and we're not even at Chuck. No, well, the the one that I keep coming back to is My World, which is just you know, it's just a mess. I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. I mean, it's just a mess of a song, and I love Duff, but like you know, So Fine is just you know, it's, it's just a bad attempt at a I don't know what do you ever you want to call it. it it's it's just a bad attempt at a you know a ballad for him. And so they could have cut everything in half. They could have taken. But if you leave you leave coma on there, you leave November rain. Obviously, don't cry. I don't know. I don't want to get into maybe one of your picks, but live and let die cover um, is certainly one that really introduced that song to me. I mean, I think I was aware of the Wings version or the original, of course, but. That was like I think my real true introduction to you know live and let die and it's badass awesome. It's that a great one cover. Of my picks, but uh, it's a um, great cover. And then they do knocking on heaven's door, which is not as good on the record as it is live um, for my for my money. But uh, yeah, I mean they they could have cut it way down. And but you know at the time they were the biggest band in America, one of the biggest bands in America. So no, they weren't. and they had that attitude. So they're like, well, why not? Yeah, we'll put it. I mean, but bands like that, they it's it's so easy to make that mistake because you're like, well, sure. We'll just put everything out there. We, we can't miss. So like the, it's so easy reference. Is that your next pick? No, I wish it no, no, actually what the next pick that I'm going to go with is just another classic. And was having a debate years ago with um, some of my boys, uh, Chip Ponce, uh, Paul Dean, uh, Tom Friedrich and a couple others. And, you know, the, the debate was, you know, best, opening song and a debut album off a rock album in the 70s and 80s. And there are a lot, you know, going back and forth. I think Chip was, you know, stuck on uh, Good Times, Bad Times by Zeppelin. But Which is um, great. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is great, you know, and it's, but the one that I just kept coming back to, and it opens up, um, you know, Appetite, uh, is Welcome to the Jungle. And my goodness, I mean, that's just, I, you know, you begin with like, whatever Slash is doing um, on, on that, you know, that intro, and you just know something is coming. And then after oh, comes in with this yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi howl on Tatooine, 
um, and then just kicks into it. And it's just, a, I mean, it's just a beautiful, hard rocking groove. Just that's what metal was. I mean, that's what raw, dirty Aerosmith infused metal was and should be. And I don't, you know, I've been watching the video music scores past couple years with my daughter, who's going to be 10 soon. And every year with her, I keep thinking back to when Guns did um, that song, Welcome to the Jungle, on the VMAs, 88 era, maybe. And you look it up on YouTube, kid. Nobody can match that. You can't match that. You can't match that swagger. You can't match that, you know, raw grittiness. Um, it's, it's unparalleled. And as much as I love the anthems on Use Your Illusion, November Rain, as I said, it's already up there. Don't Cry is up there. All I wanted when they got back together, and it didn't happen because they couldn't convince Izzy to come on board, and they couldn't, uh, Stephen Adler wasn't well enough to do the whole tour, but all I wanted was like the original five in some club, you know, to play to play that song um, and just have mind blown away. So let's listen to a little bit of it. Look, there's no arguing, as far as I'm concerned, whether or not Welcome to the Jungle is a worthwhile contender here. We're talking hits. We're, we're playing hits. Right now, it's nothing but hits. Um, there's, there's no arguing that Welcome to the Jungle is the one of the most, like, let me clear my throat moments ever. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, like, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Guns N' Roses, and we're here to literally steal your girlfriend's underwear. That's what they were there to do. Yeah. Absolutely did it. And they made no bones about it one way or the other. Um, there's, it's absolutely one of the most iconic opening songs of any debut record ever. Um, in fact, on Sherman and Steve's pod, uh, Spotify, excuse me, on the Spotify uh, I have an entire playlist that is ever evolving, which is the best debut single off of a debut record. Um, and Welcome to the Jungle, before we even recorded this, was of course on there because there's no way, there's no other way to approach it. Has to be. Yeah, and and it's kind of like that whole thing. It's like, okay, well, what is the what what is the song that exemplifies the band? That song exemplifies the band, absolutely, uh, and. And the screaming, the, the pounding of the drums. Can we talk about Steven Adler again? Let's talk about Steven Adler, yes. Can we, can we talk about, like, those drums are, the, are almost like the most violent, anthemic, like, propulsive, like, like in, the, in the same vein that we talk about, when we talk about Led Zeppelin's first, first song, right? But you just think of Bonham, right? Like, you just think of yeah. him, right? And... And and this is like these drums are announced are, are are an announcement on their own. I feel like Slash's guitar is the announcement on Sweet Child of Mine, right? Like that's the announcement. Like okay, this th this band is about this unbelievable guitarist, and and Welcome to the Jungle is just saying. Also, we have this insane drummer. He's here too, and he'd like to introduce himself with these two sticks. And it's really, really, really awesome. It's just awesome. And it's dirty. Let's be honest. It's dirty, gritty, yeah. Welcome to the but dirty, but it's also dirty lyrically. Like it is like saying, like, it is appealing. I got this album on cassette from my aunt. Thank God she did it for me. But man, like, I'm like 12, I'm 13. How is this not like the most impactful cassette I've ever gotten? It's one of the two. The other is Kick by In Excess, right? Those are the cassettes, man. Like, you just get this and you're like, what is this? I can't believe I have this. This is crazy. I'm going to wear this cassette out. And, you know, and the first song, it, you know, announces the band. It, it, it announces everything you needed to know about it. And everyone had it. We're in that era, in the 80s, of like, there's some albums that just everybody had, you know, in my neighborhood, everybody had Run DMC, you know, like everybody had Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Everybody had freaking Bon Jovi. Everybody had that, you know, like right. had New Jersey. You know, I also grew up in New Jersey. 
you know, but like everybody had that, you know, like everybody had, um, at that point, it wasn't, um, it wasn't material girl. It was true blue. Everybody had true blue, you know, like, uh, like there were just, they were just, you just owned them, you know, like everybody had Billy Joel's greatest hits, you know, whatever, like you just had those cassettes. And if you didn't have them, you basically couldn't talk. Everyone had the La Bamba soundtrack at that point. <laughs> right. You, know, right. Like, you just had them. It was just it was just part of what you had. I don't know. Well, it's and it's that that opening song, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's one of those albums. I mean, they could have been the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame off of Appetite alone. I mean, it's that's true. It's it's start to finish, you know, packed with songs that make make a statement. And I love what you said about that. Like it was a statement. Not just on the drumming, because I love Stephen Adler's drums on that, that record. Some great cowbell uh, on a couple of songs. But it, like I've always felt this, that, you know, as much as grunge got the blame, Nirvana got the blame for uh, the end of the, the hair metal era and the Sunset Strip era of music. Um, what for me it was always the first nail in the coffin was this album and the first blow to that nail uh, was Welcome to the Jungle, because it was a statement to all those other bands. You're not going to be able to match this. You can't be harder than us. We're, we're already harder than you. You're not going to do a better ballad than us. We have patience, or we do Sweet Child of Mine, which is just a step above a, a power ballad. It's like, And then we're going to do anthems that are going to blow your mind, like November Rain, you know, like Paradise City. And you, you, got, you all can't match that. And so everything, uh, the band of that era, just I think looked at each other and said, that's it. And then, you know, Nirvana comes along and Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, whatever, and that shifts there. But this was the first hear, nail in the coffin. I hear, well, maybe the first nail, but I got to tell you, like, the record companies and the bands, they did not give that up for a few years after that. I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, you know, Appetite... It wasn't immediate, but it was the first nail. That's what I meant. That's what, right, it was the first right. nail. Okay. All right. Let's have the readers email us, or the listeners, readers. Who are the readers? That... <laughs> Listeners, whoever's listening to this podcast could like could comment back and 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 message us because we'd love to get that feedback. To be honest, we'd love it. Um, you know, I, I'm curious. I, I'm I'm not. You make a good point. I'm just not sure. I, I'm totally on board with the the fact that it died after that. I, I, maybe that's not what you were saying. No, I, no. What I was saying is that like it's it was the first indication to all those other bands that you're not going to have the kind of career that you think you you're going to have. And so they fought it. There's no question about it. The music but do you think that they had the career that they thought they would have? Who, Guns or the other bands? Guns. No, I mean, I think Guns felt like they wanted to be one of those bands. I think they wanted to be an Aerosmith-type band. And they had all the tools to be that. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, Aerosmith did break up for a stint. You know, Steven Tyler put out an Aerosmith album, Rockin' a Hard Place, with people not named Joe Perry and Brad Whitford on, on guitar. Yeah. Um, but they were able to circle back and have a resurgence, you know, in the nineties that was as big and, or in some cases bigger than well, the you know, late, what they, well, they did in the seventies. Okay. Well also mid eighties, let's not discount 1987's permanent vacation. This is a completely different conversation. Um, it does have a thread, dear listeners though, because guns and roses covered mama Ken, and they clearly mm -hmm. did love Aerosmith as you brought up. They worshiped Aerosmith to an extent, or at least Axel did. Um, and and they, uh, their cover of Mama Ken, which is on GNR Lies, um, which is actually a great record. It is. Um, you know, and that's one of those things where we talk about the other, we've been talking, we've talked about every record but GNR Lies and Patience is on there. And it's kind of a weird album in a way because it's really two EPs put together that they kind of repackaged and sold in between the release of Appetite for Destruction and the double album Behemoth, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Um, Patience is amazing. Everybody knows that song. Nothing else really, like even though there's those four songs from 88, which is basically an acoustic EP, um, which is Patience, Used to Love Her, You're Crazy, and One in a Million, the other three songs do not hold up at all. And I mean that lyrically. I don't mean from mm -hmm. a structure perspective. Like, Used to love her, even though it's about his dog. Like, you can't talk about killing a, a, a female thing. Like, you just can't. You can't sing about that anymore. That, so that's toast. You're crazy is a little off. And one in a million isn't much better. I mean, like, like they, they all sound good to me as a 45-ish, 46-year-old guy that isn't thinking about what that might mean to someone who's never heard it before. You know? Um, 
anyway, still Mama Ken, Aerosmith, they were in, they, they redefined the sound for the next five to six years. And I will even include the Use Your Illusion period, you know, because Use Your Illusion dropped in what, late 91? And that was when their Nevermind exploded everything that we knew, mm-hmm. right? And like, and there's that awesome, strange period between 1991 and one could argue through the middle of 1994, where everything changed about music for, I think, a lot of people. And we're still, if you're listening to rock or a variation of rock, like you kind of have to go back to that window of like when glam rock died, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 are still kind of the dying throes of an earlier era. And it's not an era that Guns N' Roses predicted. You know, they didn't sit around and say, wow, there's going to be some kid that's listening to nothing but meat puppets and the replacements and in Seattle and, and him and a bunch of guys that love Neil Young and Allison Chains and Soundgarden are just going to blow everything up and no one's ever going to see it the same way again. Like they were writing Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 apparently for years, right? Mm-hmm. Before they released it and they never saw on the horizon this like nuclear bomb. You know, they never saw that coming. It, they didn't see the tsunami. They didn't see it. And so the last sound you're going to hear that sounds anything like these aspirational epic things is Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Even though they're bloated, it should have been one record. Yeah, it could have been one record for sure. But I, you know, just, you know, I think to your original question of like, did they expect, you know, their career to end up as it did? I don't think so. But it was almost like a natural progression of, and not necessarily, I think, because, you know, they felt like they couldn't keep up with the changing sounds because I do feel like they were a band that could have oh they could have done that but you know they were they went so big they and had went so grandiose yeah. and right and they just and ultimately Axel was driving driving always had a vision always had you know a, a vision of where the band could go and it was going to be even bigger and more people on stage I mean they did start to lose me when they you know they're bringing out the violins on stage, they're bringing out the backup singers, they're bringing out multiple keyboard players. But it, it made to fit the songs, it was almost in, inevitable that that was going to happen. Um, but they just couldn't ultimately keep up with that and couldn't keep up with Axel's ego. Um, Ambition or ego? That's the real question, right? Like, because like it's a little bit of both, right. probably. Like, I know I just I saw something the other day where Ringo Starr was talking about that. Yeah, it used to drive him and John nuts every time Paul would call and say, hey, time to go to the studio and record. But he says we owe, you know, the fact that there's so many Beatles albums out there because Paul was a workaholic. And what he didn't say is Paul had that ego and that drive and ambition. So it's a little bit of both. I think Axel had that. But at some point, the others in the band were like, you know, enough, you know, and maybe he was trying to go too big. Maybe it was just they got fed up because he was never satisfied, you know, and this is never going to happen. Um but yeah, I mean, what's what's crazy to think about is that I think they could have still adjusted and thrived because they had those roots in Queen, in Aerosmith, um, well, I, Elton John, and they I could have developed. Like, I think that I think you're. I think we're. I think we know. I think we know this band better than they do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like, I I think I think what we what we're zoning in on here, we're trying to analyze Axel and what we don't know is what it's like for everybody else. Like I assume that Slash has no brain. Like, and I don't mean that like where he's stupid. I just assume that he doesn't think. He doesn't strike me as like the thinking man's guitarist, you know? Like he strikes me as like an unbelievable technical guitarist in a stovepipe hat, smoking a lot of cigarettes and doing whatever drugs that he wants and being like, okay, mate. Like, even though he's not British, I just assume that, like, he has a British accent or something. Like, I just assume that he's well, just flat. Yeah. Like, well, I, and I think, like, the story that I've heard about that intro to Sweet Child of Mine is that it was Izzy that said, wait a minute, what is that? And he was like, I don't know. This is just something. But it, it took another pair of ears to say, no, 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 that's good. You need to, <laughs> you need to develop <laughs> that and keep that in there. And, but a Slash was just like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know what I got. Oh no no no! Keep that one. Keep that one. No, right. Nobody knows. Like, right. right. Like we're saying, like like I think Axel analysis is I don't want to say it's easy, but like 
that's like accessible to my brain to be like, well, what is like, you know, Axel's the driving force behind this band, and you know, what does Axel want? And like, and you know, like Axel's driving November Rain. Axel is driving, you know, epic songs and trying to be Elton John or Queen or, you know, I don't think he's trying to be Aerosmith, but like, I think, I do think that he was aiming for epic, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, we've we've diverted so quickly. Um. I have to get to my next song. I'm sorry, we're so we're so over overstretched here. Um, I'm not sure what the right pick is, whiskey. I got to be honest. I, I don't I don't know if there is one uh, a right pick. Um, I have a third pick if you just want me to. Get <laughs> um, no. Uh, so I think if you were gonna like think about what. Guns N' Roses really sounds like and what they were at their peak. There's no other choice other than uh, Mr. Brownstone. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think Mr. Brownstone from um, Appetite for Destruction is one of the most like hard rocking songs that they do. It's concise, unlike every other song we've brought up. It proves that they can riff one out and like just kind of do like a a meat potatoes rocker. Um, sure, it's about heroin, uh, but you know it it rips. So let's hear a little bit of Mr. Brownstone. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that it's a drug song. I, I, for someone who's never done drugs like this, it's weird. I usually pick the drug songs in this podcast, but like. I do because they usually kind of rip through it. Um, it has a great little R and like not R and B, but like a rock and blues kind of thing going on. Um, but it exemplifies why they were a great rock band, um, and it's an appetite. And honestly, you could, you could, you could, you could take anything from Appetite, and it would be fun. You could take uh, Out to Get Me. You could take Night Train. You could take It's So Easy. Like you can't go wrong with Appetite for Destruction. There's a reason it's an iconic record. Well, one of the things I love about this song too is just the way that Axel, you know, they do this on a fair amount of their songs, but they double track the vocal. And so he does his little, you know, falsetto scream and then he does the, the lower register. And so when he does get into that, he used to do a little bit, a little what to do. So a little got more. I just love the two axles going at it. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, like a, a duel between double barrel. Axle. Yeah. The double barrel axle, you know, going at it against <laughs> each other, but it just fits and it works. And then, you know, and shoot, like if you had that kind of vocalist, you know, why wouldn't you do that, uh, you know, on a track like this? Um, but it's sleazy, it's dirty, as so many of the other songs Appetite are, but it's a full throttle rocker, like you it's said. It's a sleazy number. And it's the Zeppelin, it's the Aerosmith in them. Um, yeah, and it's and it's, a, it's a signature song of theirs without, I don't think it was ever a single, but it, it is sort of a no. signature Guns N' Roses song, um, you know, off of Appetite. I mean, the whole album is a signature Guns N' Roses song. But Mr. Brownstone, I would put up there um, you know, with the hits uh, and, and thinking about like, okay, what would you pull off of Appetite, you know, to, to, to demonstrate who this band is? I, I'm glad that you agree with that choice. Uh, I bought a record, a vinyl record, which I'm looking at right now is, was apparently limited to 500 copies. And it's live at the Ritz, New York City, February 2nd, 1988. And so I have this vinyl copy that I picked up I believe in the back of some random place in Vancouver where I bought it. Um, I think that's where I got it. At any rate, the second song off of this apparently somewhat limited edition vinyl, I'm sure someone will email me like, no man, that's everywhere, but whatever. <laughs> I have a copy. And it's the second track off of side A of this vinyl of them in 1988, early 98, uh, early 88. You know, doing they do it's so easy, and then Mr. Brownstone and have to get me before they get Sweet Child of Mine. It's almost like they had to warm up to get Sweet Child of Mine, you know, with three other numbers before they get there. Um, honestly, you could have taken my Michelle. I don't know how you feel about that track. I think that song is no, yeah, that, that would have been an easy one to pick off of Appetite. And actually, the, the one that uh, I was like really thinking about, and um, 
you know, I wanted to pick uh, off of Appetite is, you know, You're Crazy, because that's the song that follows Sweet Child of Mine. And uh, yeah, I could have gone with that one as well. So what we're really saying is that everyone needs to buy Appetite for Destruction or at least listen to it. And nothing else really matters. No, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's Appetite, like, despite User Illusion and the great songs off of that one, Appetite just, in some ways, just reminds me of the Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, because that was their only record. That was it. You know, there's, there's nothing else. That was it. And Guns could have gotten into the Hall of Fame just on Appetite alone. And they almost did, but, you know, they had the User, user Illusion singles and their, those hits that just, you know, made them you know, an iconic international band, but I don't know, they were already there, you know, it just, so it just added to their resume, but you know, they could have gotten in on appetite alone. I agree with you that that's the case. Let's just rattle off really quick. I want, I want to rattle off. I think it's important. Uh, and I'm not looking at the song list for the spaghetti incident, um, no. but well, no, but apparently isn't that a covers record? Isn't the spaghetti? It's a covers record. Yeah. It's just a covers record. So the thing is, okay, so I don't even know what's on that record, but I want to go off of everything else I have because I never got that one. So they cover Mama Kid. They cover Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, they cover Live and Let Die. Um, like, they, they, were, they, they were an unbelievable cover band, right? I mean, like, am I nuts about this? Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of insane that they could probably reinvent other songs better than, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I always find that to be an intriguing thing about this band that obviously they're not a cover band, but like they could re, I mean, those were all hits. Like, Knockin' on Heaven's Door was a hit. Living Like That was a huge hit. Um, you know, like, Monica was not, but like, they could do that. And I just, I don't think everyone could do that. Well, I have to say, like, I think my favorite of that bunch is Knocking on Heaven's Door, but it's, you know, they, they did a, I think it was even before they put it on the album, you know, MTV would play the video of them playing at this club, I think in New York, the Ritz, right? And they Yeah, did, the Live at the Ritz one. Yeah. yeah, they did Knocking on Heaven's Door. And that, to me, is one of my favorite covers, period. And then on the album, it's, you know, they put on the, the backup vocals and the background singers that... I just it'll add it just it, it didn't match from stardom people yeah yeah it didn't match you know what they could they did live but the live version is just insanely good and Axel did get up on stage with you two during uh, the Zoo TV tour and he sang that song with them so that's somewhere around you two I feel like Axel singing with Bono on that was not as well received as it would be today. I just remember thinking, like, well, that's kind of cool that, you know, Guns and, you know, the Axel, like, my favorite band. Um, but I don't ever remember thinking, like, wow, that was, uh, these two need to get together again and sing more often, you know. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, you 2 would do a Dylan cover every now and then. Um, they did Maggie's Farm on a couple of tours. Um, so that wasn't, like, unusual for them to do a Dylan song, but. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I'm going to have to go back to look at it again. I don't remember thinking like, yeah, these two need to do right. up. Right. So. Here we go. We're going to do a pop quiz. You're not prepped on this, and I don't know if Michael will let it stand, but we're going to do a pop quiz. I'm going to read off every title from Usual Illusion 1 to Usual Illusion 2. You're going to say keep it or dump it. Are you ready? Yep. Right next door to hell. Dump it. Wow, I would have kept it. Okay, Dustin Bones. Dump it. Live and let die. Keep it. Don't cry original lyrics. Keep it 100%. Perfect crime. Dump it. You ain't the first. Keep it. Okay, so right now, three of the first six songs you're keeping. Bad Obsession. Mm, bad Obsession. Keep it. That's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually would keep right next door to hell. So far, I don't disagree with anything else other than that. Okay, back off, bitch. Despite the lyrics, it's keeper. Ooh. All right, double talk and jive. No, dump it. November rain, keeper. Keeper. Uh, the garden. Uh, dump it. I kind of like the garden. Uh, garden of Eden. Nah, dump it. Don't damn me. Dump it. Bad apples. Dump it. See, I'd keep bad apples. Dead horse. Dump it. I keep dead horse too. Coma. Keep it 100%. That's okay. a classic. All right. Civil War. We're now on a two. Civil Keep War. it. 
Really? Yeah, yeah. Civil, civil War is I love it. I love Civil War. What's so Civil War anyway? Love it. Keep it. That's Keeper. 14 years. Uh, Dump it. Yesterday's. That's a Keeper. That's a Keeper. Now, yesterday, I almost picked Yesterday's. I just want to get to that. I think Yesterday's is actually, if there's like a fifth pick, yeah, Yesterday's is really good. Yeah. Really good. And it's it, it's 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 not quite acoustic, but like it actually like uh, yesterday's could have been done by as a compliment, like later era Goo Goo Dolls in a way. Like I rocks harder than that. But I don't like, know, like who is the main writer on that one, but it also reminds me of Izzy Stradlin's solo album of Izzy Stradlin the Juju Hounds. Um, it reminds me of that kind of flavor and vibe. So, uh, God bless you for knowing who that is. Okay, <laughs> knocking on heaven's doors, a keep keeper. Yeah, despite my criticisms of it, it's a keeper. Get in the ring is terrible. Oh my, so bad. Were you Bob Gucciotti from Spin? I mean, gosh, sake, it was. That's just it's atrocious. Atrocious. Okay, shotgun blues. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll keep it. That's. A, I'll keep it. I'll keep, You'll it. keep that one. Breakdown. I don't even know that. I don't. I gosh, I've forgotten that one. Dump it. Pretty tied up. I'll keep it. I don't remember that one either. Locomotive. I keep it. So fine. Dump it. Duff, I love you. Oh, that's a dumper. Uh, Estranged is a keeper. Oh my gosh, yes. Estranged. I mean, the guitar. Estranged is really that's, good. That's another slash guitar where you're like, yep, that's slash. Yeah, okay, yep, slash is playing. Yep. All right, you could be mine's a keeper. I mean, that that the fact that we haven't talked about that yet and what? how that's a great. I was going to bring that up because, you know, remember when we did the Duran Duran podcast and one of the picks was A View to a Kill. Um, and we're like, yeah, you want a James Bond, Duran Duran song, that's it. Like, I don't know, like, Gunn's doing a song for a Terminator soundtrack. It's like, okay, here it is. <laughs> so it's, it's perfect. 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 Perfect marriage. It stands on its own, even without the movie. But, yeah. It's... You Can Be Mine is, is an incredible track. It's an incredible track. It, it's kind of the most embarrassing one that we haven't mentioned. I, yeah, I was, I've been thinking about that one. Like, i got to fit it in there somehow. So I'm glad you brought it up. You're welcome. Uh, don't cry alternate lyrics. Who needs the alternate? Why? Lyrics? Yeah, why? That that wasn't necessary. Unnecessary. My world. What is my world? Well, you want. That's what I was talking about. Well, you want to step to my world. It's a psychotic state of bliss. It's just Axel and drum machines, and it's it's just no. It, wow. It's bad. Okay. Oh, sorry, Axel, if you're listening. Yeah, I'm sorry, but all right. So I I'm gonna go with an overall perfect user illusion list the perfect use your illusion list would probably be assuming it's one record right i'm gonna vote for right next door to hell as an opener is not being terrible so i'm gonna say we'll start with that live and let die is the second track don't cry original you liked did you like you ain't the first were you okay with that or i made the re-record i don't know was i okay with it I can't remember. I think I dumped it. I think I dumped it. I think you dumped it. Yeah. All right. So then, so then you're looking at right next door to hell, live and let die, don't cry, back off, bitch, November rain. Um, I kind of like Garden of Eden. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I I can't go there. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. It's close for me, but ultimately, it's just too trying to do what other songs did so much better. Yeah. Okay. Then you're really not in on Use Your Illusion 1, because then November Rain is the next one. Yeah. We did November Rain. Bad Apples you're not in on, and Dead Horse you're not in on. And I think Dead Horse is great um, as, like, a rock number, like a mid Like, that's like a mid-tempo rock number. Like, that would fit in on a record. I don't know. Then you got Coma. And then you got Civil War, Yesterday's, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Estranged, You Could Be Mine. Uh, what am I missing? Breakdown? Breakdown's okay? Yeah. Right? That's pretty good. That's a good album. See, that'd be a good record. And it would probably be 55 minutes long. That's I, that's solid. Yeah. I mean, that makes See, sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a challenge to you. I want you to create the best Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion playlist and put it on our Spotify. Done. Great. That's we'll your job. Do. Do it. Final thoughts. Anything on Chinese democracy or spaghetti incident that we haven't covered? 
No, I mean, on Chinese Democracy, look, I mean, they just waited too long to put out that album and they needed other people in the band. I've obviously forgiven, you know, Kiss for replacing Ace and Peter. I've been to a ton of their shows with Tommy Thayer and uh, Eric Singer in makeup. I could never do Guns with Axel alone. That, that, that to me just wasn't Guns N' Roses. And it was embarrassing that, that he was touring as Guns N' Roses without Slash, without Duff. Um, they just couldn't do it. And the most recent reunion tour, I loved it. It was so good seeing the three of them back together. But God, there are times where I just like, I just want Izzy on that stage. I want Adler on that stage because there's something about the original five that still hasn't been matched. I, I forgave like other bands like Kiss for replacing members. I could never forgive Guns for doing that. I could never see Guns with just Axel. It just, that just to me just wasn't uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, and my last thought is I'll go to the mat with, uh, you know, I'll do a separate podcast on this. The argument that, you know, Appetite was that first nail in the coffin to end the Sunset Strip scene. It wasn't Nirvana's Nevermind. Doesn't mean it happened immediately. It was over a few more years. Um, but that was the first nail uh, in the coffin, and I stand by that. I, I appreciate that you're standing by that. It, it flies directly in the face of our Poison podcast, but that's fine. I, I, just... No, but again, it's, it's, it's over several years. Like, it, it's not that's... taking nothing away from Poison, you know, because Poison still lasted after Appetite came out. It was just an indication to the other bands, like, this isn't going to be a long career for you, you guys. And it wasn't. You know, so it took a few more years, and it took, from your, it took the Seattle scene to put the final nail in the coffin but uh, appetite was the first blow interesting interesting I, I i i agree with you on so many things but i don't know if i'm there on that one but that's that's what makes this great i i don't know if there's a single song of a chinese democracy that's worth recommending i feel like <laughs> the only one i remember I can't. is shackler's revenge um and i don't know why i do know looking at this the track list um, that Riyadh and the Bedouins uh, would never open for Eddie and the Cruisers. I know that much. I, I don't know. The last song of the record is Prostitute. Yeah, there you go. I you, mean, like... You needed 14 years to come up with that? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess at least there's a song called Sorry, which should be for the whole record. It's so terrible. Um, it's so terrible. Um, we appreciate you, listeners, for listening to our probably expanded version, <laughs> our probably bloated version, just like Axel after a post-concert spread or uh, a record company after listening to all of you releasing one and two in a row. It's got to be frightening. Like, there's got to be tracks that didn't make it. 30 tracks made those records and there's songs that didn't make it. Yeah. I was wondering, like, I think they put out an ex ex expanded version of appetite, you know, what are we coming, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of use your illusion next year. So I don't know what's in the, what's in the hopper for that. So we'll see. <laughs> but if there isn't anything that makes 2020 potentially worse, it's that like there might be an expanded version of use your illusions one and two. Yeah. Um, my world the alternate takes <laughs> 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 uh, well listen we appreciate you all listening please email us shermanski at gmail.com uh, I'm Sherman and I'm Ski and we appreciate you and uh, we look forward to our next deep dive into a band that you may think you know but we think we know a little bit better when we're here talking to you Thanks a lot. And I hope we talk to you in. Excellent. Thank you again from listening from Sherman and Ski. Sherman and Ski is created and hosted by Josh Sherman, Sherman, and Richard Harper, Ski. It is produced by our good friend Micah Joel, based in London, England, and Josh Sherman. Original music composed by Mr. Micah Joel. Follow us. We have an Instagram account, which is at Sherman and Ski, which is S-H-E-R-M-A-N. 
A-N-D-S-K-I, and a Facebook page by the same name, Sherman and Ski. If you haven't subscribed already, please, please, please do so because Sherman is very needy. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Overcast at the moment. We'll see. If you want us to tackle a particular artist, we are totally open to suggestions. Email us at edrooneysoffice at gmail.com. And that's edrooney spelled E-D-R-O-O-N-E-Y-S office at gmail.com, which is Sherman's email. Thanks so much for listening and for following and sharing with your fellow music nerds. And we'll see you down the road. Thanks.